Well, this evening, as the song said, we are going to look at our happy condition where we have seen the law fully satisfied and how that came to be and what is entailed in it. And that this we want to look at in Galatians, if you'll turn there with me, in chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. And um, we will read uh, quite a lengthy passage. We're not going to study all of it, but I want to read through, um, through verse 29 at least. Um, I'd like to read to chapter 4 as well. Um, there's a development of an argument here that... Um, it's a shame to really break it up. We really need about a three-hour window tonight to do it justice um, in the development of Paul's description uh, that he introduced last week when we talked about uh, that those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. And so we're going to talk a lot about Abraham over the next uh, chapter and seven verses, or the rest of this chapter and the seven verses in chapter four. Let's go ahead and read some of this so we can get a grasp of the passage before us, and then we'll have prayer and get into our study. It, it declares, for as many as, I'm verse 10 of chapter 3. Did I say that in Galatians? Okay. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. It does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant which was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise." But God gave it to Abraham by promise. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of the transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. 
Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. If a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Again, we're not going to possibly study all of that this evening um, in 30 minutes, um, but it is a complete argument, and it really needs to be read as that really, really stretching into into earlier part of chapter 3. But we are going to try to uh, not take it apart, but really uh, develop it very deliberately as we go through this portion of Scripture and uh, see our relationship with Adam or with Abraham that Paul uh, and our and the law that Paul develops here. Let's before we do so, let's go Lord in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you again for your word before us, and we do pray that you might work in our midst, in our minds to illuminate us to your truth and to its understanding that we might uh, be able to engage it and reason with it and and grasp it. But Lord, we know that uh, you desire much more from us than just that, Uh, but we know that that is a beginning. And so we give you the beginning of the process, but we also give you the uh, development of it in our heart too, that you might find us tenderhearted to your truth uh, willing to surrender ourselves to its power and see its authority and render it in our lives as effectual. And Lord, we uh, know that this endeavor is a great one tonight. Uh, and each time we open God's word and we pray for your help uh, and we know that you've offered it and will grant it to those who seek it. And we do so now. And we pray that as we are responsive that you, and as you reveal uh, yourself and your word and by your spirit, that uh, your name might be magnified in our midst tonight. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have, um, as we introduced last week, um, the development of Abraham. And very purposefully, as I shared last week, uh, we are getting not to Moses. Uh, we want to go back farther because uh, the Judaizers were all about Moses, all about Moses, 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 the law of Moses. And so Paul uh, wants to connect uh, the believers in Galatia and really the believers throughout the church age, not to Moses, but to Abraham. He wants to take that and he's doing that very deliberately uh, and purposefully because he has just supplanted, if you will, um, those authorities that want to say, well, we know the law. We know Moses. And we're the Jews, and here we are. We are born with it. We are raised with it. We know the law inside and out, and we know you guys aren't keeping the law, and there is no way that you can be acceptable to God uh, without ha- having some knowledge of the law and out, without keeping some of it. I mean, you got to keep some of that law, and uh, and probably obviously from Paul's response to them, they were wanting them to keep a pretty substantial part of the law. In fact, uh, really, ultimately, biblically, we know that once you commit to the law in one portion, you now have to keep it all, and Paul's going to bring that out. 
And so they were all about keeping the law. Um, that was the premise. And as soon as you go into one law, now you have to entail all of them in your argumentation. And this Paul gets to. And, and so before really talking about that at all, he's already introduced the idea that the law didn't save you. The law isn't how you receive the Spirit. Um, this isn't how you heard the gospel. Um, your in relationship with God was not based upon it. It wasn't the premise of it. It had a purpose. We're going to talk about that later <clears throat> more fully. But we um, certainly uh, want to then say, well, uh, there was a time when there wasn't a Mosaic law. And so we can very quickly go there and say, well, if there was a time men could relate to God without the Mosaic law um, before it was given, uh, then certainly there should be an understanding that it is within God's capability to make us have a relationship with him um, without the law later. And in fact, perhaps all the way through, and certainly through all the way through the even the period of the law, um, it was not the law that brought us to Christ or that developed our relationship with God, but rather it was to develop our understanding of the principles that would be found in the Messiah and our looking towards one. And he's going to strongly develop that, of course, tonight in the early passage here. And so this becomes very important um, that we predate the law, and he even tells us exactly in his uh, description, verse 17, uh, 430 years difference. So we're talking about 430 years between the law and Abraham. So what was the deal for 430 years between Abraham and Moses? What was the basis of a relationship with God? What was it with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, and going through the 12 brothers, Joseph, and and all that period of time of, um, of the time in, in Egypt? What was the basis of that relationship? And even what was the basis of the relationship with God, with Moses, even prior to the Mosaic Covenant? Uh, so we have an Abrahamic covenant. And this covenant language is something he's going to develop very strongly. Um, but before we get into that, and I'm not sure we're going to get into that um, tonight. We may. I'll see how quickly I can move along here. Um, <clears throat> we want to talk about his understanding of the law. And so uh, we are going to get around the law to some degree uh, by going before it was given, uh, early in Genesis. Um, But he also wants to talk about why that's necessary. And that we pick up in verse 10 through uh, 12. um, And he does it through a series of rapid-fire quotations from the Old Testament. And so we begin... Uh, by understanding that as many as are of the works of the law under the curse, for here's the statement that he wants to quote. And this is out of Deuteronomy. That's in your margin, I'm sure, Deuteronomy 27. He's quoting from there. It says, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And, of course, the emphasis that Paul wants to place here is on what word out of that statement? What word of the statement is Paul going to pull out? Not the word curse. I mean, he's talked about the curse, but, but what is the important word here that 
now brings us into a realization there's no uh, partiality, there's no partial keeping of the law anymore, right? He says, all things. They have to continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And if you don't do that, you're cursed. And so what we find is that here in Deuteronomy, within the, and Deuteronomy is simply the book that is the second giving, if you will, the second, the, the retelling of the story, um, the, the study of it from another perspective, a second time through. And so he says, listen, if you don't keep all things in the law, you're cursed. Once you receive the law, now you're, you're under the entirety of the law, and it, it sits on your shoulders very heavily. And from God's perspective, that once you try to carry the law, once you pick the law up and you're involved in that Mosaic covenant, uh, uh, the law of the the covenant of the law. Now you have to keep it all. There is no partial thing. Well, you can do circumcision. You do circumcision, and you do this, and and you'll be okay. You're on the route. And remember, circumcision was the first thing that they were pushing. That's the first thing. Got to have circumcision. You can't possibly be in a right relation with God and be an uncircumcised heathen. So circumcision was the first step. Um, but what Paul is here trying to develop is that circumcision really, um, now if you are compelled to do that, to have a relationship with God, now you are really under a curse because if you don't keep everything in the law, you are a cursed person by the statement in the law. And so um, if you want to go by the works of the law, if that's the premise of your relationship with God that you're going to cling to, that the Judaizers are clinging to, that the Galatians are turning towards, and uh, now here it is. You don't just get circumcised. You don't just have to obey a few of the laws. It's not just the Ten Commandments. It's everything written in the laws. Now they all weigh on you. And so he has quoted here, and he says, that's what you need to understand. And so uh, you cannot take a sliver of the law that's to your liking, ignore the rest. Uh, and that's the wedge the Judaizers were using to get into the church. Well, if you just do circumcision, you know, at least you should do that. That's kind of minimal. Well, it's not minimal. It is substantial because it is a declaration that you have now committed yourself to the keeping of the law. And now, if you're under the works of the law, now, yeah, I keep it all. Uh, and remember that uh, in the Jerusalem Council in the book of Acts, that they purposefully and very pointedly uh, avoided circumcision because of its association uh, and its, and its uh, development of the law. And so we find uh, that they were, they were referencing some other matters that were more about a testimony and an engagement with society that they had to live in uh, and about what is righteousness. But we find um, that there is no uh, hope to be found in the law um, because it is impossible for any of us to keep it all. Um, there is only one hope in the law, really. And we're going to talk about that here shortly. The second quote in verse 11 is that the just shall live by faith. And we will see that extensively. Um, And of course, uh, that we saw that Abraham believed God and his credit to him for righteousness. Uh, We saw it up in verse 6. And so he says, the just live by faith. This is um, out of Habakkuk. 
And so we find that uh, the just don't live by the law. They live by faith, by trusting in God. And so that's how we are declared righteous. That's how we have this righteous standing before God. And it's not by the law. Um, it is you become a just person, uh, not by the keeping of every one of the commandments, because the fact is none of us do. And you go through just the Ten Commandments that our kids are studying in Life Clubs this year and memorizing, um, you end up with a conclusion. That conclusion is, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty. I mean, it just goes right down the line. Uh, and, and we don't find ourselves just, we find ourselves wicked. We find ourselves guilty. And so who are the just? The just are the ones who live by faith. That is, they're trusting in a promise. And that promise is going to really come forward here in this development of the scripture, uh, in, in Paul's development here. And so we find that, first of all, um, if you're going to keep the law, you've just cursed yourself because now you've got to keep it all. Secondly, um, even in its heyday, the law um, did not justify anyone. No one was found righteous by the law. They were found righteous by faith in Christ, in the Messiah in the seed, in the uh, one born of a woman, in all those promises of God, of the one who would come, the suffering servant. Um, that's where it was found. It was just live by faith. They trust and obey. Um, they, they follow the leading of God. Um, and yes, that did involve and engage the, 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 uh, the law for that season. We're going to talk about that well down the road when we get to the idea that we were slaves and then we became sons, but we were sons while we were slaves because if we were of faith. And so we're going to look at that relationship down the way. Um, but for t- tonight, um, the just live by faith. So that's the second argument. The third argument is that the law isn't faith. Okay, so we have a very deliberate description. Okay, you want to live by the law? That means you're cursed to keep all the law. If you violate any of it, you're under a curse. If you break one of them. Um, and, and from my understanding of the law, there really isn't an uh, allowance for, oops, I accidentally broke a law. Um, you're still guilty even after an oops. Oh, is that against the law? Oh, no. I didn't know. Or I didn't remember. Or it didn't dawn on me until afterwards or until someone pointed out to me. There's no provision for that in the law. You're guilty. You break that, boom. So there's that curse. Um, And it wasn't effective for justification. And lest anyone try to say the just shall live by faith is inclusive of the law, Paul takes the next step. The law is not of faith. It's of flesh. It is something you are doing, seeking to satisfy God. And Paul's very clear that you have to do it all entirely without error. You have to do it without missing a one of them. You have to ever. Um, it is uh, a all or nothing uh, provision and uh, requirement. That's what it takes. And so the law is not a matter of faith. It is a matter of doing. It is a matter of works. It is a matter of, of the flesh, not of faith. And so, um, lest, and that's, you could almost ima- imagine him sitting there thinking, oh, these guys are going to say that 
The just shall live by faith, that that's faith in the law. No, it is faith outside the law. It is faith before the law. It is faith beyond the law. It is is the faith that the law um, has taught me something, and that is that I can't do anything to save myself. I need a provider. I need a substitute. I need an atoner. I need someone to declare me righteous because I am not righteous. And so the law is, can't be equated with faith. You don't put your faith in the law. Uh, and you can imagine him thinking the Judaizers would come up with that. Well, oh yeah, we're, we're trusting the law. We're, we have faith. We, we believe in the law. Um, no, the law is not of faith. Uh, why? Because the man who does them lives by them. And so you're putting your trust in the law and not in Christ. You're putting your trust really in your actions, in your doing. And we get, I think, dangerously close to this when uh, we start uh, uh, talking about uh, certain religious activity. And, uh, and we're going to have to address that when we get down here to baptism. When we do certain religious activity and say, well, I've done this and I've done that, so therefore I must be right with God. But you can do all those things without faith, can you not? Certainly. So Paul here is not replacing one set of works with another set of works of religious activity. And we, we see some of that in our circles a little bit. Well, you haven't been baptized or you're not praying or you, know, you're not, you didn't pray the sinner's prayer quite right. Uh, here, read it off this card. Um, you have to do it just right. Um, or you didn't have this experience after you got saved, and so your salvation may not be complete. Um, you need to have this expression of the Holy Spirit, uh, whether it's speaking in tongues or some other um, uh, sensation. Uh, whatever it is, we become dangerously close of, a, of replacing the law with another set of works. And and we cannot get in that trap. That's not faith. Faith is not the the um, our efforts to please to come into a right relationship with God um, by our works, by our live, by our living. Rather, we reverse that and we say our living is a response to a relationship with God already that we behave as sons because he has made us his sons through the work of another, not through my work. And so we don't want to confuse the obedient Christian walk with religious steps to be enter into a right relationship with God. And that is, to us, that may be very obvious, right? But to the unregenerate looking at the church... What do they associate with a right relationship with God? Going to church, giving money, baptism, going to confessional, taking communion. And, they, and, and it doesn't help that some groups out there are muddying those waters by making those means towards a relationship with God. And so they come in and they'll make the statement to me, oh, I want to be baptized. And I uh, quickly ask them a very direct and, Short question, why? Why? Well, I, I want to have a relationship with God. And I says, well, you don't need to be baptized to have a relationship with God. 
But they have associated it with that. From the outside looking in, most unbelievers think that it's all these things. Go to church, get baptized, um, have a Bible, read it, pray, that those religious activities are the means to God because they don't see that what we're doing is because we already have a relationship with God that then we do those things. Do you see the difference? But the world doesn't. The world looks at it and says, oh, you're just trying to do these things to get in a right relationship with God. No. We do these things because we are in a right relationship with God. Right? So how do we convince the world and show to them that that's not to confuse living the life of faith with our living to come into a relationship with God? Um, and, and that's a difficult thing. And again, we have to set ourselves apart. We have to say, no, um, when they say, oh, you know, you do these things, and so you think that God is pleased with you. I go, no, um, that's not why I live like I live. I'm not living this way to get to heaven. I'm living this way because I am a citizen of heaven already, and I should therefore live like one if I am one but it is not how I became a citizen of heaven. And trying to very carefully and clearly distinguish between those two. So while we might quickly say here, oh no, we don't require the law to be saved, um, we do in our presentation to the world often confuse them by thinking that our religious activity is what we're trusting in. And we don't want to do that. We want to make it very clear that um, it is Christ who has redeemed us. And the way I try to communicate that to people is to regularly and consistently say, oh, I'm not doing this because I'm a good person. I'm not doing this to try to uh, get right with God. I'm doing this because God has done so much for me. He has made me this way. He has recreated me. And so this is just how a, a Christian lives this is not the living that makes me a Christian. Okay? And you need to communicate that to your unsaved family and acquaintances and friends and, and co-workers to not confuse religious activity with you coming to Christ, but rather having come to Christ, now I live this way. And this Paul is going to uh, develop as well later on when he gets into some of the outworking of uh, when we get into chapter 5 of what is the fruit of the Spirit and uh, versus what is the way the world lives. Um, but we have the necessity to say that we are of faith and that means that we are not trusting in anything we do either according to the law or according to <laughs> a new set of rules that the world thinks of. And Unfortunately, we have to counter the media and how they portray Christianity. We have to counter uh, Catholicism and, and their historical view that you have to do these seven things or, or you're going to have to go to purgatory for a while and burn off those things that didn't get covered because you didn't get the seven doohickeys done to you at the right time and place. Um, and the seven things become, isn't there seven, right? Am I right? Sacraments, yeah. So you got to get the seven down or you're in trouble. Uh, well, the seven things become the things you do to come into a relationship with God to get to heaven. Well, no, 
And so we've got all this history to unpack with people. And so don't think that when you look at them and tell them something that they're thinking what you're thinking, because they're not. They're thinking that you're trying to get to heaven by doing all these things. They just think that way. Oh, you go to church and you give and you pray and you read your Bible and you try to be nice because you're trying to get to heaven. Um, And try very strongly in your presentation of yourself and your testimony to communicate that that is not the case. You're not trusting in yourself at all. You're not trusting, you don't have any faith in baptism. I don't trust in baptism. I've dunked a lot of people. I don't have any faith in it because I've seen plenty of them that aren't living for the Lord and it didn't stick. If I trusted in baptism, I'd be a very disappointed pastor. I wouldn't be a pastor anymore. Because I've baptized plenty of people that aren't living for the Lord at all. That have rejected him and denied him. Cursed him. So I don't trust in baptism. I've seen plenty of people pray ridiculous prayers that are just selfish and sinful. I don't trust in praying. Um, I've seen people give incredible amounts of money. Um, and, uh, and I don't trust in that, in, in that aspect of Christian living. Um, I don't trust in that because um, they're quick to say, you do provide receipts, right, so I can get this, and I have to get in before December 31st for my tax write-off. I'm like, well, if that's what it's for, you know, go down to Joy Junction or something. Um, we're, I have a more something, something more substantial here. This is not about um, getting right with God. I've had people tell me, oh, this is going to really get me in with God. I was like, no. No, you can, here, give, I give them their money back. I said, no, that's, we don't, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. And uh, to make it very clear that that won't work. And uh, so we can't trust in those things. And this is what Paul's communicating And uh, through these series of things. You don't trust in the things you do. You don't trust in the, the law because the law isn't a faith and and uh, the fact is, is that if you did trust in the law and you want to work, do the works of the law, you're really cursing yourself because you can't do them all. And, uh, and you end up in a cursed condition, not in a blessed condition or a redeemed condition. So where is the hope? Where is the faith? What is a faith? And that begins in verse 13 and following. Um, and we're going to look more at the covenant probably next week. I'm not getting very far tonight. I've decided to take smaller chunks and not go late like I did last week. I was kind of... So I'm going to take a little smaller chunks at this. But uh, verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And again, quoting from the, from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy, um, that uh, among the law is cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. So Christ, the Messiah, when you read Christ, when you see Christ in the beginning of verse 13, think to a Jewish mind, that is Messiah. Okay, this is just the Greek, but in a Jewish talk, that would be Messiah. So Messiah has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, not because he failed to keep the law. That's not how he became a curse. He kept the law perfectly. He met its demands. He kept all of it. And so he was never cursed by the law, but rather he was 
became a curse. He became our curse by hanging on a tree, which is distinct from being cursed for keep for breaking the law. And so here's the innocent one hanging on Calvary's cross um, for us, the tree of the cross, and uh, in a becoming a curse. And so he who is innocent, having met the demands of the of the law, now he can uh, live. But instead of living, he chooses to die, to become cursed so that we could have life. And so he takes upon himself our curse, not by because he wasn't cursed by the law, even though he was under the law. And he talks about this later uh, when, he, when he begins to develop the idea that uh, he was uh, under the law, that he might save those who were under the law. So he placed himself under the law, knowing that he could keep the law. He could perfectly keep every facet of the law, which he did. He knew the mind of God, he knew what the law was, and so he kept the law. Yet he had to become a curse, so that he could be our curse. Well, he wasn't going to receive a curse from the breaking of the law, so how is the other means of being cursed according to or to becoming a curse uh, according to the law, and that is by hanging on a tree. And so we have within the context of the law some fascinating principles. And this Paul is really drawing out um, by these rapid-fire quotes, um, is that the law set up a means for the Messiah to become cursed for us without the law, and yet under the law. So he wasn't cursed by the law because he kept the law. But within the context of the Old Testament, we find that there is another cursing. There is that cursed state of one who is killed or or dies by hanging on a tree. And so here, Christ is able, uh, and, and God has, in his foreknowledge, has place this into the context of Deuteronomy so that they would recognize that here's an innocent one hanging on a tree, so therefore he is cursed because he's hanging on a tree, yet he's innocent because he kept the whole law. So his curse isn't for himself, so who is he cursed for? He's cursed for me. He's taking my place. I belong there because I am guilty. He is innocent. And so we have this direction toward the Messiah, that the Messiah is the one who who has become a curse for us, even though he has perfectly kept the law. And so he could redeem us by us out from underneath the curse that we have earned by not keeping the law. And so we couldn't keep the law, whether we knew the law existed or not, whether you're a Gentile and didn't know there was such a thing as a Mosaic law or not, not relevant. Um, the law of your own conscience that Romans 1 talks about, the law of the knowledge of creation, the, the general revelation we call it today, um, even without special revelation, uh, you were cursed under those conditions. And so you were purchased out of that. You were redeemed uh, from that, from your cursed state, by him becoming the curse for you. 
The means by which he did that had to be hanging on a tree. And so this obviously points to Jesus as the Christ. So that's the negative taken away and and the curse is taken away, but that does not, that's not sufficient. We'll put it like that, right? Uh, a blank slate is not sufficient to have a relationship with God. You can have all your sins forgiven, and that's not, that doesn't mean you're in a relationship with God. Okay? There's something more. And so that's the negative. In verse 14, we find the positive. That, okay, so he took away the curse. He redeemed us from the curse. He bought us out of the curse of the law. Why? So that the blessing of Abraham, not Moses, the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so now by trusting in this one sacrifice, not only do we have our our curse taken away, the curse of guiltiness under the law, but because we have placed our faith and belief in Christ, now we have received the blessing of Abraham so that we are children of Abraham, that we are of faith and are, are, we, we join the ranks of Abraham who believe God and it was credited to him for righteousness. And so we stand as a redeemed people and we stand as a righteous people. We are purchased out of our curse and we are given righteousness, holiness. We are credited that. And so just the front half of it isn't sufficient. God has determined that. that and so not only is it the removal of the curse, but it is the, the blessing of being credited with righteousness to make us the children of Abraham. So all the promises given to Abraham that are wrapped up in the accounting him righteous can now be shared not with just the physical descendants of Abraham because they were never just limited to there. We know that. Nor does every physical descendant of Abraham have claim to it. It is the descendants of Abraham who believe like Abraham, that we are the descendants of his faith. And we are real quick to identify that as our faith, and I think um, we err there a little bit. Um, How do I want to say this? We are quick to say, well, I believe God like Abraham did, but I'm not sure many of us are ready to pack up our families and move to a place that we don't know where we're going and we'll be told on the way. I'm not sure that many of us are ready to pack up one of our children and haul them up a mountain to be sacrificed on a fire. I'm not sure many of us are really ready for that kind of obedience. Um, that kind of faith. And yet we want to associate with the faith of Abraham, um, but uh, the fact is that the many who claim the faith of Abraham haven't really, whether through lack of opportunity or, I don't even believe that anymore, um, through just, Selfish interests would never do what Abraham did. 
even if God came and told you to do that. How do I want to say this? Um, when I read something in God's Word and it says, do this. As if you're a child of God, you should do this. And we balk at it and we say, oh, that'll never work. <laughs> Which, by the way, is you're going to read re- often in the book of Jeremiah in our Sunday morning study. We say, that won't work, Pastor. I, I, I'm too afraid to do that. And I take them back to the Bible and I say, the Bible says to do this. Are you saying that you don't believe that God will keep his word when he says, do this and I will honor you? So when I deal with uh, my premarital counseling or with marital counseling, I take wives to God's word and I said, do this. I take husbands to God's word and do this. Well, that'll never work. You don't know my wife. I said, well, God knows your wife. God knows your husband. And he describes him perfectly. He doesn't obey the truth. So what? The command stands. And they look at, that'll never work, Pastor. And I'll say, well, then I can't help you. Because you're not a person of faith. You don't believe what the Bible says. We don't genuinely believe it. And, and if you don't believe what the Bible says, I don't know how you can claim to be a person of faith that you're a Christian at all. At some point, um, the rubber's got to meet the road somewhere, doesn't it? Or we really believe it. We really believe that God is in control of the nations, or we really believe that God expects us to do what he commands us to do. He really expects us to do it. And when we don't, how can we claim to be a people of faith? And so we want to associate with Abraham. We're the sons of Abraham. Well, where's the faith of Abraham? To say, I'm going to step out and obey God. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. Um, It doesn't seem, I can't rationally believe that this will work. But yet, because God said so, I'm going to do it. Where is our faith to live that way? That's what Abraham did. He packed up his stuff and he started walking. And you can imagine Sarai there going, so where are we going, Abram? Um, wherever God leads us. Well, where is that? It's that way. Where are we going to stop? When he tells us to stop. How would you like a husband like that? That's Abraham believing God. Some of you are going, I have a husband right now. <laughs> That's Abraham believing God. Because God said, go, he went. And so did his wife. And so, and believe it or not, even his nephew, um, Lot. And, and okay, well, let's go. Um, where are you going with our one and all of my son that I didn't give birth till I was 100? Uh, where are you going with that kiddo? Oh, up the mountain. What are you planning on doing? Obeying God. God will provide. I trust God, and if he wants me to do this, I'll do this. And only God will stop me. Not my wife. Nothing. Nothing stops me. Not the laws of the land, not the expectations of the future. Um, The only thing that's going to stop me is God himself. And God intervenes and says, okay, I know that you're going to believe me. You're going to trust me. You're going to do what I tell you to do. 
And uh, that was credited him for righteousness. And so that is Abraham's faith. It is a faith that says, I'm going to follow where God leads me. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. And he says this, and that is not a faith in my own works. That is a faith that I trust God to keep his promises. He designed the family. I think his instructions for the family are worth being attentive to. Why wouldn't you? If you're a person of faith. We claim the faith of Abraham, but we have given almost no evidence of it because we don't go out by faith and live in a courageous manner that challenges um, sometimes even reason. Um, But God says, I'm going to take you to a land. I'll show it to you later. (laughs) Do you believe me? And we live a certain life because we believe God's word. I hope that we believe God when he says he will come back and receive us to himself, that we will have a day of reckoning, of, of accountability, that we will be a judgment seat of Christ. And I hope that we believe that Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so there is our allegiance and there will we live and there is our longing, there is our joy and uh, we recognize that all the junk we have to deal with here to stay alive of food and shelter and, and uh, we don't really need more food and shelter, do we? <laughs> we we've got to survive. We have to live. And uh, those are things that are necessary but not defining of us. What defines us is that we have a hope of Christ, that we are his ambassadors. I'm going to do his business, his job, his work, and I'm going to be obedient to him. That is the faith of Abraham. And so it is by faith that we see the promise of the Spirit. It is by faith that we see the blessing of Abraham, not in ourselves and our actions, but in Christ. We have that opportunity to have faith in him that he redeemed me and that he has blessed me like he blessed Abraham, and that is that he gave me his promises. We're going to talk about those promises next week, the covenants there. Okay, and so before we, we're going to have to wait, so that's where we're at tonight, so let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us, and uh, Lord, we thank you for delivering or buying us out of the curse that we are certainly under by any measure of man. We are all guilty by the measure of creation or the measure of the law and anything in between. Lord, we find ourselves cursed. And we rejoice that you came to meet those demands and to purchase us out of our curse by becoming the curse for us, that we might receive the blessings. But Lord, we also recognize that this is reserved for those of faith. And this is not something to be lightly spoken of, to be carelessly tossed around with no evidence in our lives. For faith is truly evidentiary. Faith should be recognizable. And Lord, we pray that you might find it so in us. And Lord, help us to be able to communicate clearly to those around us that that. Uh, the premise of our relationship with you is, is your work on Calvary's cross and the resurrection of Christ and not our own work. Not our own religious activity, not our baptism, not our 
not a certain prayer, not a certain Bible, not any of these things, not attending church. Help us to communicate that clearly to them. The relationship with Christ is before all of those things and is not dependent upon any of them. Lord, help us to uh, then lead them to you. They might join us in that blessed state as children of Abraham and holders of the promise of God as sons of God. Again, we thank you and rejoice in your working and pray that it might be more and more evident in our lives that we are truly people of faith, walking in a manner worthy of our calling. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.